Alfie Duzane, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, you may note that that is uh, not Monegasque or French, I guess they speak there, uh, but German uh, in honor of the dearly departed Nikki Lauda, who passed away uh, this week. Uh, really starting the show with kind of a bummer, but this is uh, impossible to ignore. Nikki Lauda is a titan of Formula One uh, and has been around forever. Um, at least as long as I've been watching, he's always been in the pits with uh, Mercedes, and it's uh, sad to see him go. Yeah, uh, th- I feel like we had our we had our you know start of the season when Charlie um, passed away so young. Um, it, it rem- I don't know. I was kind of put back by the fact that Nicky Lauda was seventy years old because he looks older, obviously, um, than his years, and uh, even that feels a little bit young. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, and also sad I, I actually don't know exactly how much the the lung stuff is connected to his uh his crash i imagine it's pretty connected to it but um sad to see that it seems to have been that um that maybe eventually is what caught up with him um but there you go and you know he kept fighting for 30 33 years or whatever or 43 years after the incident so you know fair play yeah i think i'll, I'll say like it's Strange because it's one of those uh, characters who looms really large in sort of the Formula One of my father's generation, Mm. right? Like for me, Lauda was always, it's strange, but for me, Lauda was always like a far, like a long ago figure in some (laughs) ways. Like I didn't really fully appreciate uh, the role he played in the sport or how vast and all-encompassing his career was uh, probably into the last few years, right? When, like, there was a lot of tension on his life story via, uh, you know, the uh, Ron Howard movie, uh, Rush. Um, and it's a kind of... It's wild to think about, like, he him unretiring in, what, 84 to win a final world championship. And, yeah. like, that is... Not as far back as I would think, right? It's 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 the damnedest thing. But like he, like for me, he's always sort of he's been like one of those always one of those old timers, uh, you know, the part of that 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 golden era of F one, uh, and actually like it was just it was just out of my experience, right? But it is what mm-hmm. my what my dad grew up, uh, you know, and watching and getting into as a teenager and young man. Yeah, Danny, you've compiled. Um a sort of uh, uh, a greatest hits of Nicky Lauda. Um, do you want to go through it right now? Yeah, sure. Um, I tried to, I don't know, get a get a sense of the man, uh, the the racer and the person, uh, where he's from and and uh, sort of uh, uh, all that he achieved in life uh, on the track and off. Um, so I've just compiled a little bit of a, um, a sort of a collection of, of anecdotes from his earlier life. Uh, his name, name is Andreas Nicholas Lauda. Andreas was actually his, uh, his, his real name, Nicky being his nickname, we all came to know him by. Um, he, he came from sort of rich stock in, uh, in Austria, in Vienna. His uh, grandfather was an industrialist. Um, and the family wasn't particularly happy with the fact that he didn't go into the family business and went off uh, driving uh, motor cars, which certainly, you know, back in the 60s and 70s would have been less of a prestigious um, job. Than, than even today um, 
he he drove in mini first and then formula v which is kind of like a um you know those old style kind of cyl- cylindrical um open wheel cars um, and then he took it alone uh to join the march team which is uh, a formula one and formula two team in 1971 um he took a, i think it was a life insurance policy against himself uh, is what he had funded um the uh the, the the loan with and he drove so well in 71 that he got promoted to their f1 team uh, the following year um he then took out another bank loan to join BRM in 73 because uh, the March team, I guess, did well in Formula 2, but not so much in F1. Um, and it was there he met his teammate, uh, uh, Clay Regaz- Regazzoni, um, who then ended up, of course, going to Ferrari, sort of vouched for Nicky. Uh, and then Nicky got to uh, join Ferrari in 74, um, only three years after entering the sport. Uh, and also the money he got from that deal ended up helping him clear all his debts and wipe the slate clean. Um, he did well in 74, uh, but 75 was when he um, won the championship, his first ever championship um, uh, in, in that car. Um, 76 then, he was leading the championship when he had his crash, which is obviously where he got the scars that most people um, will remember him looking like uh, in the preceding years. Uh, he, he actually had, it happened at the Nürburgring on the second lap. He had famously boycotted the rest of the drivers to, uh, or sorry, he had lobbied them to, to boycott the race because there was a worry similar to Spa sort of around those times that the breadth of the track, especially when they're access to the Nordschleife and stuff, um, was just kind of too big and there wasn't enough um, uh, uh, people to help you if you crashed and just generally there was a lot of um, concrete walls and stuff. Um, he crashed obviously famously, the the footage is out there if you want to go check it out yourself. Uh, Brett Lunger's Ford also crashed into him um, while his car was on fire he lost his right ear he had third degree burns his uh, helmet came off which is why the flames were sort of uh, everywhere his fire suit wasn't um, protecting him and they gave him the last rites in hospital after they pulled him out of the car um, but incredibly he powered through it got his lungs pumped returned to races uh, later uh, bandaged wearing a cap which he famously got the uh, sponsors to pay millions I think it was in the end to, to put uh, their logo on his cap um, which sort of I don't know. I feel like that was maybe the start of the cap thing. Yeah, good lord. <laughs> in racing, which is pretty amazing. Um, and he also talked about how scared he was. He was terrified to get back in the car. Um, but he did. And himself and, you know, James Hunt, I think at that stage, had, had gone ahead in the... It's all spoilers for the movie, by the way. Um, had, had gone ahead in the uh, uh, the championship. And then even I think there was a sort of a sense of the man as somebody who was brave even then but not stupid um when he retired from that final race in japan effectively handing the championship to hunt um his uh, tear ducts were badly damaged in the fire and they were sort of watering his eyes too much and he couldn't see uh very well um but uh he I, I guess it soured his relationship with ferrari a little bit um the next year he won again in 77 but he did enjoy being with the team um so he moved to brabham for two seasons uh which was pretty much uh uh, I don't know, like a, a, the only memorable part from that part of his career was the fact that he was the guy who drove the fan car that one race. Oh man. Yeah. Um, which was Bernie Eccleston's fan car, by the way, it was, there was a sort of a confluence of big personalities <laughs> in that, uh, which they used for one race, uh, and then, uh, got rid of it before. Um, yeah, I think Bernie at that it's stage amazing. Is, it's a, it's a, it's a literal, it looks like any kind of, uh, you know, fan that you would have in your room. <laughs> Uh, just bolted to the back of a car to suck the car to the track. And of course they outlawed it, but I'll put a link to that yeah. in the show notes at school. It's like one of those fans you'd see in a museum on a hot day where they're just trying to keep as many people 
cool as possible um as rob said he he retired sort of twice and again came back um uh his last uh stint in a car was in 84 with mclaren when he won the championship again um which was uh, pretty incredible his third time in 84 so 75 77 and 84 uh, and then he 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 drifted away he went off and did this um he was very interested in lots of uh other types of i guess you know sport and mechanics and stuff and he had a great love of flight he got his commercial license and he started um a number of uh, different um airlines actually uh lauda air another one called nikki another one called lauda motion some of these were sort of like bought by uh german and austrian um airline companies other ones he got back after they went insolvent so it's sort of a uh, complicated little story there and he also uh, flew them as well because he had his license um but he did I, return I have a story to... from that uh go on that i just wanted to interject here with i didn't hear this uh un- until people started sharing the best nikki lauda stories but apparently uh so one of his planes a lauda air uh flight 004 crashed in uh 1991 and um lauda and Boeing were going back and forth, like pointing fingers at each other. And uh, this is from uh, the Wikipedia page on the on the crash. Lauda stated, "Quote: What really annoyed me was Boeing's reaction once the cause was clear. Apparently, the um, thrust reverser deployed in flight." Uh, oh. Lauda says Boeing did not want to say anything. So Boeing is kind of saying, like, well, it could have been pilot error. Uh, this back from. Back to Wikipedia. Lauda asked for a press conference the following day and told Boeing that if it was possible to recover, he would be willing to fly a 767 with two pilots and have the thrust reverser deploy in air. Boeing told Lauda that it was not possible. So Lauda asked Boeing to issue a statement saying that it would not be survivable, and Boeing issued it. Lauda then added, added, this was the first time in eight months it had been made clear that the manufacturer, Boeing, was at fault and not the operator of the airplane. So he basically, like, called their bluff and said, oh, you you don't think uh, this is your fault? Well, I'll go up there, uh, hit the reverser, and we'll see if it's survivable or not. Wow, that's so, yeah, the kind of a couple of different shades of his personality there. The fact that he never st- set, you know, stepped down from a fight, um, you know, clever, uh, uh, I don't know, communicator, and also just fucking brave. Um, that's awesome. I mean, he became, you know, after the, when he returned to F1, he, he had a couple of different stints actually. Um, he was a consultant at Ferrari for a year, uh, he was team, team principal at Jaguar right before they shut down. Um, so he didn't last very long there. Um, and then, of course, became non executive chairman of Mercedes, um, was instrumental in the signing of Lewis Hamilton. And that's when he kind of became part again of the, the conversation around F1. Like, I'm same as Rob. Like, to me, he was, you know, like a Fittipaldi or someone. He was, he was an old timer who had been in the sport who was at side of my um uh era even though he was like you know a couple of years before senna basically um uh, at least at the end of his career but uh, of course that's when we all sort of got to 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 re-know him um uh, the only other thing he 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 got from his airline business was um uh, his second wife and a, and a pair of twins as well um he has two children from his first uh, marriage uh, to marlene uh, mateus leda who is a driver he did touring car and a couple of other stuff um and luca um who actually was mateus's manager for a number of years as well in driving uh but uh brigitte was an air hostess who worked for lauda air um who he met then uh in i think it was i think he was divorced in like the late 70s and remarried in the late 90s or something um and uh 
yeah, he, she, she not only gave him, oh no, I was thinking it was a couple of years later. Um, she not only gave him, um, obviously a wonderful uh, marriage as well, but, uh, she gave him a, one of his kidneys. He had two kidney replacements. Actually, his brother gave him one and then she gave him a second one. Um, wow. and, and they have a pair of twins as well now who are around 10 years old. Um, he had a lung replacement surgery in August of 2018, just last year, less than a year ago. Um, and, uh, I guess that was sort of what, um, perhaps was, was, part of the reason why he was in hospital at the moment um uh yeah so you know years and years after that initial uh, crash and and inhaling all of those terrible fumes um uh he he managed to stick around for for quite a long time and add to the story of f1 long after with uh with two more titles and uh i had a lot of great interviews we'll we'll miss him a lot on, on television whenever he popped up his 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 blunt honesty and insight i think was um was always appreciated. He he wasn't somebody who said a lot of words, but what he said, he sort of got to the point pretty quickly, which, you know, always good on interviews as well. Yeah, truly one of the greats, uh, and we will miss him very much. Uh, and again, uh, that his his whole story is immortalized in the movie Rush, uh, and uh, I think we all recommend that movie. Yeah, a couple of people saying we should maybe do a, a review of that one as well at some stage. Maybe be yeah. good to get that one done during the... That's um, a great one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do like. I always did have the feeling that um, it's it's tough to know what to make of people who, who've moved into those kind of power broker roles, uh, which is very much I think what his modern involvement in F one has been to an extent. Which like it's funny to think about. He has connections to both. Uh, he bridges the gap between the Jaguar operation and Red Bull, and then uh, you know. Obviously, he's been instrumental in kind of Mercedes' uh, rise to this point. And I always did wonder uh, how heavily he had to get involved when things were running off the rails with Hamilton and Rosberg. Because uh, yeah. that was there, – there, there was a period of time there where – like, like I always get uh, – what was it? It was Spa, right? Where Rosberg hit Hamilton and cut his tire – and then after the race, you know, like, the, you know, you called into the principal's office. It was always like Toto and Nikki, right? Trying to talk to the drivers and figure out what was going on. And so I, I, I do kind of wonder if that was a, uh, you know, because we, we, we talk sometimes about how tough it must be to manage talents like this. Right, like how many people can empathize with what an F one driver <laughs> goes through? Yeah. How many people can really understand the mindset of a multiple world champion like a Lewis Hamilton? Right, Nikki Lauda is one of the few people who can probably bridge that gap, and I think now Mercedes overall is in a better place. I think it's a, a, a more peaceful house. But at the start of this era, that was a team I think was very much in danger of throwing away its own advantages because the internal politics were so fraught and tense. And I always did wonder how much Lauda's influence kept them from boiling over uh, versus how much was the maturity of the drivers or Toto Wolf's uh, skill, skill at handling it. Totally, and how many people? How many people on the planet exist that would be able to, that like somebody like Lewis Hamilton or Nico Rosberg would actually listen to, like yeah, who've been in that, been in regardless of the you know experience. Even there's only a couple of people, and and, and there's you know even there's a lot of F1 drivers, former F drivers that people modern drivers wouldn't want to listen to, <laughs> but he bridged that gap as well. He was you know sensible, and he had been in those passionate um, 
you know fights as well with people like hunt so uh yeah i that's a that's a good point rob well speaking of uh formula one world champions should we move on to the rest of the news fellas sure let's talk about fernando alonso for the next 30 minutes yeah uh <laughs> who wants to take this one rob do you have a handle on Jeez. this oh boy yes sort of um okay so this was gonna be like right now alonzo is in this sort of valedictory phase of his career uh his i i think his contract with toyota has formally wrapped up or is in the process i think he's probably driven his last race for the uh, toyota endurance uh program he won his 24 hours of le mans uh you know championship with them so you know check that box and he really wants to notch Indy, uh, you know, mm. on his belt before he b- b- before he calls it a day. And this was, uh, you know, not maybe this was going to be the year of be putting it too strongly, but the impression that McLaren and Alonso and the word that's been put out, you know, in the in the media about this year's effort was this was kind of going to be the more serious effort, right? This was kind of a Fernando Alonso is going to get that feather in his cap. He is going to do what all what so many of the greats have done. He's going to win the Indy 500. And in a McLaren car. In a, in, yeah. yeah, in in a McLaren. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm curious to see how that works out. Like, you know, it should be exciting to see how this, uh, you know, how the, how this pans out. Now, I, I think always they overpromised because the Indy 500 is a hard fucking race. It is a hard race to win. Um, there are so many there. There is so much like random chance that can influence the the result of that race. But nevertheless, uh, they were they they were uh, really confident about their prospects. Apparently, they had sold a ton of advertising against this effort. Like this was going to be a major brand building effort uh and a you know a really kind of announcing mclaren's arrival in indycar um kind of effort and then sunday i didn't watch qualifying so i apparently i missed a lot of good stuff but sunday night well, and qualifying is a little different for the Indy 500 because yeah. when we talk about Formula One qualifying, it's it just sets this uh, the the order that everyone starts in. In for the Indy 500 specifically, you must actually qualify for the race. There are 33 mm-hmm. slots, and you've got to go faster than everyone else and get into. You have to earn your place in the Indy 500, and it's not. There's no you know, uh, historically locked seats, you actually have to qualify for the race. And they also do it in a different format. Obviously they do the, it's like the, is it the average lap time across those five laps? Yeah. It's indie, indie, indie's weird. The, uh, the way they traditionally present that information, I think is not lap time, but average speed around the oval. Okay. So if you're watching Indy qualifying, a lot of times what you'll what you'll see is not a uh, you know, a, a timestamp for qual- for quality. What you'll see is just how fast around the track were you. It's two ways of expressing the same information. Uh, but but nevertheless, uh, they, they there tends to be a little more of a focus on 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 your speed around Indy um, which is going to come into play here in a second. Uh but yeah, the, the cars go very fast at Indy. Uh, it's it's a high sustained rate of speed, um, 
And by Sunday, it turns out Alonzo did not did not qualify. He was not going to be in it. And that was shocking enough. But what was more shocking was how much information leaked out like immediately. Not even leaked out. I guess Zach Brown basically got ahead of this <laughs> by laying out what happened. But what happened is a bad story. Like it's it's amazing they just owned up to all this because the facts as Zach Brown laid them out were CEO of McLaren. Yeah. Mm. Uh they were disastrous. Uh so where to begin? Um first things first. So they they partnered with they partnered with another uh team, Carlin. Uh, which also runs a number of entrants in IndyCar races. Um, Patricio Ward, I think, is is one of their drivers. Um, they partnered with Carlin to provide their spare car. And uh, apparently, Carlin delivered a, car, de- delivered a car, but it showed up in the wrong color of orange, the wrong shade of orange. So now, now if you remember the Amazon uh, documentary on McLaren, one thing we do know about Zach Brown is the branding better be perfect. And the, you know, the, it just has to be that that car has to uh, match the, the, the branding guidelines and has to have lots of good like display space uh, for for advertising. Anyway, it's, papaya, papaya orange. Yeah, that, very important, Rob. That was the correct color. Carlin <laughs> didn't deliver a car in uh, papaya orange. So and this is the wild part. Apparently, at that point, that car was put into like a garage and forgotten about. Um, and it eventually made its way into a painting facility, but it was still getting its paint job finished or it was letting the paint set, uh, when testing, like when testing began, which again is going to come up. Uh, so like, you know, they, they, they got the car, they weren't happy with the color. Um, and then they were, they, I don't know what the decision was. They just kind of put it on back burner uh and and moved on eventually it would get painted so then other other issues begin begin cropping up um apparently they didn't have a steering wheel so oh, you need one of those yeah um which i i guess i didn't realize that like um the steering wheel like the people build you the car. Nobody's building you the steering wheel. That's 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 a separate part. They didn't yeah, have Logitech does the wheel. Yeah, you got to go to PC World. <laughs> you got to make sure you have the, the Xbox or the PlayStation one, but you have to know yeah. which one is which. No, uh, so <laughs> apparently, literally, there was not a wheel like a week before uh, the race, and so again, like Zach Brown, I gather had to go to Cosworth. I want to say, and like get a wheel like like literally go there and pick one why up. does he have to do why like i guess we'll get to this but i'm sorry keep going <laughs> yeah and he, well he said that's where this whole thing fell down in, in project management uh zach brown should not be digging around for steering wheels 
Um, <laughs> Zach Brown speaks in the third person about himself. Um, but and so th- this was also him saying that the person who was heading up this uh, McLaren Indy effort was Bob Fernley. Uh, that person was basically fired. Uh, McLaren says the contract was up, but clearly they were they were quick to say like in the wake of all this, Bob Fernley would not be coming back. Uh, so yes, yeah, so they had no steering wheel. Uh, Zach Brown has to go and like I guess cash in some favors and literally go pick one up himself. Uh, and then Alonso has a crash in testing, mm. um, and they need the Carlin car, and it is not the the paint job is not finished, and so everything is basically frozen uh, as far as what like. You know, he he needs another car. Every other driver on the grid just hops in the spare. McLaren doesn't have a spare. Uh, And there's a brutal, like, paddock diary in USA Today about, uh, like, literally what the scene was in the McLaren pits uh, before all this. And, again, it was just chaos. People, like, frantically trying to slap uh, slap this car together. Uh, They're running out of time. They make... (laughs) <laughs> they make another mistake in practice. Uh, they get the inches versus the, the English versus metric measurements wrong. So they send Alonzo out I- for a test lap. And apparently the thing is just like sparking and bouncing along the ground because it's too low because they, they use the wrong uh, units. Oh, my gosh. I actually said, oh, no, out loud when I read that part. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's uh, it's astonishing. So now they've now they've kind of trashed their new car a little bit. And apparently this is this part the USA uh, court USA Today correspondent saw. So at that point, they're now running up and down the pits, like begging for replacement parts. They're basically trying to get help finishing their car um, and to get this thing back out there. And they do, and they send him out there, and Alonzo doesn't doesn't set the time doesn't set the time. It starts to rain, uh, so he misses out on, on qualifying. Turns out, after the fact, uh, was going to be pretty unlikely that he was going to qualify because they screwed up the gear ratios, and so his car could have gone 229 miles uh, miles an hour, but they only geared it up to 227.5. Uh, so I mean, who needs the extra one point five? It's just the cherry <laughs> on top, you know. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, the new paint will make it go faster. It's got speed lines. There was some debate as to whether, like, maybe McLaren would just buy someone out of their spot on the grid mm. and just get Alonzo in in a seat for the race. Uh, Alonzo, Which is the shot most American down. thing, the most American thing I've ever heard is buying buying your way on. It's like yeah. It's, Thankfully, he shot it down. I thought that was decent. Well, yeah, decent, and also I think I, I think that would have added a further layer of humiliation. Like to like at a point, right, you just yeah, need to pull yeah. the plug on this. You can't yeah. then be like, okay, now we're going to kick another driver out of his spot, and Alonzo Alonzo's going to be a pay driver at an F one yeah. like, at, at Indy five hundred. No, that's not. And presumably, he's he's not really in it to win it at this stage anyway. So, and that's the only reason he's doing this is to get that triple crown, right? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, so that is the story of McLaren's IndyCar effort. Uh, Brown wraps up. He said, you know, we really did put it all on the line. You could feel the anxiety. There's some real heroism in that. I don't want the world to think McLaren is a bunch of idiots. Uh, 
Well, because while we did have a few, we had some real stars. Oh, wow. Um, also, like, one of the things Zach Brown did mention is um, he didn't want to blame Carlin for the job they did supporting the McLaren effort. But he did feel that maybe Carlin weren't up to the task of supporting that many entrants in uh, the Indy 500. And that's kind of where things were wrong. There's some where things went wrong. There's some evidence for that. But at the same time, um, I just I, I that's what I've been dying to ask you all. What do you make of this? And is this yet another Zach Brown story? I think the fact that he's the one who decided to come out and write this whole the whole thing to me feels like a defensive maneuver. And it does seem like a like a project management issue. Like it's it's a pipeline problem, it's a communication problem, which, you know, when you watch the, the, the series that was on Netflix was it Netflix or Amazon? I always forget which ones which Amazon. Um Amazon that one's which that seemed like a big part of the problem was the way the business is set up in a broad sense and and communication problems between them and their partners. And but this one is just like when you get to the stage where somebody's having to go and hop in a car and grab a wheel from somebody, um, I, I just think, yeah, it. I, I, there's. It's hard to tell exactly what happened because we're only getting his version of what happened. Um, I imagine there was a lot of faults on McLaren's side as well. Um, like in terms of a lot of these instances where they're complaining about the paint and and the wheel and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, so I, I have a I have an issue trying to like make a judgment on whose fault it was, but there's only a certain amount of times when I don't know, Zach Brown's caught with, you know, shit in his pants. You gotta gotta gotta, <laughs> gotta, gotta wonder about, you know, what's the common denominator on all these on all these problems. Uh I also just to add insult to injury, when Alonzo did do that crash in practice, uh they put his car onto a a flatbed truck with a crane. Oh. And then guess what? The crane ran into a bridge. <laughs> How does this keep happening? Exactly what, what is, like the Williams I, car. Yeah, in Baku. What's yeah. like? I, 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 it's like whenever you see a truck crash into a bridge, like on a road. You're like, you had one job. Like, <laughs> do you not? Do you not? Every bridge you come to, do you not check the the, the height thing and make sure? Uh, yeah, it just uh, an absolute comedy of errors. I don't know. I, I mean, he says he doesn't want McLaren to look like. They're a bunch of idiots. They're, you know, you can have an underperforming team and not look like idiots, but they do look like idiots because of the ways these th- things keep happening. The manner they happen. Like, this is just, yeah, ridiculous. Well, from one... Go ahead, Rob. No, I, I was just going to say it's... I wonder... There is a great deal of ambiguity for me, at least, as to what Zach Brown's job actually is. This is the other part of this, is when he's saying, like, <laughs> it's... You shouldn't have Zach Brown digging around for a steering wheel. And I agree, like, in terms of title, like, probably not. Uh, but at the same time, there are elements of... Uh, racing is complicated. It's a lot of, like, team leadership and, like, keeping a lot of plates spinning and managing a lot of teams and uh, knowing who to delegate to and then who to follow up with and when to check in and, and, and when to trust people, when not. There's a lot of that. Uh, but for me, the thing I, I still to this day do not understand is what exactly Zach Brown's involvement in all of this is. Because you see him, for a guy who says, I shouldn't be involved in like the nitty-gritty of some of the stuff with, with the racing, 
he is involved in that a great deal, right? Like he's he's the guy who hops on the, uh, you know, when they when they do the interview on the pit wall, they're talking to Zach Brown mm. usually in terms of like team principal uh, type stuff. So there's this there's this weird element to me of Zach Brown has done a very good job of clearing out everyone else who isn't Zach Brown under the guise of like house cleaning like housekeeping um, and sort of reforming McLaren the upshot of that has yet to materialize but the other part of this is there are more and more things now that seem to belong like in Zach Brown's wheelhouse and I don't I'm getting less and less clear about what he is not responsible for right like what he is not uh, hands on with because basically everyone else who was a name to know at McLaren uh, is basically gone. So now it's what Zach and Jill DeFerrin. That's it. Um, I, that's that's the part of this that I I just increasingly find myself baffled by. When he when I when I when he sort of first appeared, he seemed more like business side operations level guy, and now he's just everywhere, and it's like yeah. the reverse Midas. Yeah, it's uh, and considering like he's a like his background is in racing, so it's it's always been interesting to and, me where he an advertiser, sorry, uh, right? But I mean, he was he was a race driver for like two decades, so like he's he's like it almost seems like maybe he's not the most qualified person to be like is delegation the issue? Is he just uh, like if he's the one l- looking in the buckets for steering wheels? Like, surely running a team like this, one of the most important things when you're head of the operation is making sure that you have the right officers underneath you. And that seems to be the 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 uh, common problem here is that the buck stops before it gets to him or someone else gets in trouble or it was this communication over here. And it's like, okay, maybe he's not the right guy to be doing this. Or he's trapped himself because every time something goes wrong, he's like, ah, damn, just another person had to be like removed from that position. I I'm sorry. I take responsibility. I wasn't involved enough. And so that's the story that, that, you know, he keeps telling, but also the result of that is again, like increasingly now in explaining these things he makes more and more stuff accountable directly to him uh and that also seems unsustainable for an operation of this complexity yeah, i think it'll go fine it's as we'll a, for success i, f- I, f- I feel like we got to tell all at some stage like i, yeah. I, I don't think he is it, it's he's not a calamitous you know in his position it's just it these instances keep coming up these like bizarre and maybe i don't know maybe that's the folly of of all motor racing and we just got more insight into it because of the series and this is a particularly embarrassing chapter um which played out in i mean like hamilton you know or sorry alonso was like literally looking at the screen during qualifying with a million cameras around him while it was happening like this played out in real time in front of everyone um so yeah it's it's just at a certain stage mclaren needs to turn a corner and if maybe zach is at the wheel it's not gonna happen i don't know maybe it's it's just a maybe he is has an impossible position and the people who are underneath him or the way the organization is set up or whatever it's just you know it's like fighting fire and there's only so much work you can do um but it's yeah it's like williams you you kind of these problems seem to be just endemic in the organization maybe and 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 maybe he's not helping that, but perhaps he's not also completely to blame for it. Well, let's move on from one uh, uh, baffling CEO to another. Rich Energy. <laughs> I feel bad for Zach. This is like, that's not. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good segue. But this guy, this guy, this guy is like, this is Olympic level it bullshittery really going on. Uh, yeah. William Story, the CEO of Rich Energy, which is the uh, title sponsor for uh, Haas F1, was interviewed by Peter Windsor, who is uh, a Formula One journalist and former sporting director of the US F1 team, interestingly. Uh, mm. And in this interview on YouTube, which I can uh, link as well, um, Richard Story comments on the ongoing lawsuit that uh, they are fielding from white bikes who claim that uh, Rich Energy stole their logo, which, uh, boy, they sure look similar. Uh, but Story <laughs> says uh, three different times. I've pulled some quotes here. Their company I've never heard of before, an obscure bike company. Very few people have ever heard of them. No one's ever heard of this company. To which white bikes, uh, who make um, uh, bicycles, by the way, not not motorcycles, uh, respond on Twitter. Uh, I'm just going to quote here. Let's have some fun with Mr. Story. Hashtag who's ever heard of white. How about the rich energy Haas F1 team driver, Roman Grosjean? <laughs> Pictured here on the 26th of August, 2014, uh, on a Lotus F1 team demo day on a white bike and in the background is someone else wearing a white bikes t-shirt with the logo on it you can't see, write this stuff you couldn't make it up it's a, it's a, it's a real slam dunk yeah i'm sorry i'm sh- i'm shaken by this pool thing <laughs> okay <laughs> and- oh my god the pool so, <laughs> you want to take yeah, this one, you could, you could you, you could argue, yeah, you could argue that White's photoshopped the picture of Roman Grosjean, right? Because it seems too perfect. But you know, <laughs> but of course, that's not not the case. Who would who would do that? Who would who would photoshop something um, to make a point? Um, who would photoshop something so banal? Uh, this is, uh, a, a, I guess, the internet being the internet has done some sleuthing um, all over the Rich Energy uh, Twitter account and found. This awesome post from uh, New Year's Day in 2019. A swim on New Year's Day with at Rich Energy. Hashtag 2019 goals. Hashtag love life. Hashtag business. Oh my gosh. And it's, <laughs> That's it's, from Rich Energy's Twitter account, right? Yeah, which by the way, this has two retweets and 14 likes. So Rich Energy <laughs> not doing super hot on the uh, social media there. Uh, engagement. Uh, so it's, it's, it's effectively a picture of a very nice modern uh, uh, outdoor pool with the Rich Energy logo, um, at, you know, at the bottom of the pool. So it's like a custom pool. Um, and then uh, here is a tweet um, from, I guess, whoever figured out the uh, or, or did a scan of the picture or whatever. Um let me make sure I get this one. This is from Lewis O. Jones, I believe. Yeah, Lewis Jones. Uh, That's who pointed uh, us it, to sorry, it. Yeah, yeah sent us to it. This is Conrad Keefe, who says, uh, It then transpires the rich energy's passion for graphic design intends into, uh, extends into its photoshopping skills, too. A pool that is supposedly theirs, uh, the logo at the bottom and all, turns out to be just another photo from the internet. Um, it's basically a, a stock photo of, uh, of, a, of a fiberglass pool. Um, or maybe one that's been that was used on some website that makes pools or something. Uh, they've just taken this photo and then put their logo underneath it, which it's it like hurts my brain because you didn't you could have done the tweet with the pool without the logo, and that would have been bad enough. But to go to the effort of doing like a transform tool to make the perspective that angle, like I used to just be graphic it takes a while. We're a worldwide brand, and we're all about lifestyle, 
Okay, this is the lifestyle we're trying to portray here. It doesn't matter if it's not real. <laughs> this is this is the thing. The fact that you got a you got an F one team sponsored by a company that is basically doing like really trash it like it like garbage tier instagram influencer type stuff <laughs> trying to be like oh yeah just you know oh just taking a swim in my pool this is definitely that like i def that i definitely own at my mansion that's definitely real right it's like imagine like a mansion with the energy drink on it or like a, like a, a fucking airplane that looks like a can of the drink it's like that level of absurd it's weird i also again like as long as the check's clear as long as the check's clear, it's, you know, it, like, but at a certain point, if you're Haas, just, you know, yeah, I, I would, I would Smile be vigorously searching for backup uh, funding streams. The, 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 the fake Gunter Steiner Twitter account had a re pretty funny uh, uh, response to it earlier today. I'll, I'll send it to you, Drew. You can stick it in the show notes. Okay. Amazing. Uh, all right. Let's get, let's go from the theoretical to the wheel um to the real i guess and and the wheel if uh zach brown can find one uh the w series uh now yes. being hosted by nbc sports network in the u.s so we can finally watch it without a vpn Woo. um although who knows i mean probably uh be lousy with commercials but who knows maybe we'll be surprised um also uh jamie chadwick driver who is um uh, in the w series uh, has been nominated as development driver for the Williams F1 team. She has joined awesome. the Driver Academy, uh, yeah, as a development driver. So, congrats to her. Um, and in other races in the Euro Formula Series, one Billy Monger, uh, the uh, Formula Four driver who tragically lost his legs in a crash uh, and has been on the uh, uh, the way back to racing ever since, won a race. Yeah. He won a race, you guys. This guy is good. Uh, then the full race, uh, will we will link in the show notes because I've heard, uh, even if you know the ending, it's still uh, an amazing race. So I uh, haven't watched it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, put that in the show notes for y'all. But from, uh, from wherever that was to Monaco, take it away, Danny. Sure. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go to our favorite uh, procession of the year, which I said last week. Um, uh, Monaco is an interesting circuit for us because it's it's generally a uh, the winner is whoever sort of polls. It, it's kind of you know the race is often times they say it's won on the Saturday, but it, like I, but we love it, right? Like I just it's it's a special track. So many amazing. Uh, Races have happened here over the years. Um, you know, the Prost-Senna era, um, Patrese's miraculous win in 82, uh, Graham Hill's dominance. There's just, it's 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 one of the oldest races on the circuit and, um, and we still kind of love it. Um, a little bit of uh, information about it. The, this will be the 76th running. It was first held in 1929. Um, it's it's not really been changed all that much over the years in comparison to to other tracks from the late twenties, I guess. It's about eighty percent the same, I'd say. Uh, the big difference happened. The first big change happened in sixty uh, nine when they added the arm core barriers. Um, uh, Philip Vidal uh, and uh, Lorenzo Bandini, of course, who, who tragically died after the crash, both of them crashed in sixty seven and ended up in the straw bales, which went on fire. Um, after uh, Bandini's um, passing, they basically outlawed those and they added the. Arm 
Aramco in 69. Um, uh, Alberto Ascari and Paul Hawkins, 10 years apart, went into the water there, um, which was another sort of uh, uh, reason in them trimming it up and making it a little bit safer. But in terms of the actual setup itself, it's mostly remained the same. Uh, Piscina and Rascas ratted in 73. Sandovod and Noj uh, were tightened in 76, a couple of years later. And then the uh, chicane was added in 86. Um, or sorry, the 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 um, yeah, she came out in '86, and we've we've seen the um, uh, just that's the at the exit of the tunnel, you know, where where they sort of come out there. It used to be a lot faster, so it was just a way of like making it a little bit um, uh, less uh, hectic around some of those uh, what you know faster turns like twelve and stuff. Uh, it's tough to overtake here. Um, they take about 4,000 gear changes over the course of the track. It's super intense on the driver. Um, there's one DRS straight. It's not very long on the start finish straight. And in terms of overtaking opportunities, it's uh, it's kind of few and far between. A lot of driver error to make stuff happen. Uh, people crashing, people missing apexes on Nouvelle Chicane. Um, you know, but but for the first section of the, you know, sand devote, sometimes people jump up the inside of it, maybe. Um, most of the big overtakes or, or position changes we've seen over the years have been from things like um, uh, people uh, clipping the walls or having bad pit stops in the case of Danny Ricardo. Um, uh, yeah, so it's a it's a, a sort of a, a track that is I don't know it's 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 either very boring or something very exciting happens, which sort of mixes it up. Um, yeah, it's also home to a bunch of people as uh, you know, ex drivers and current drivers live there. It's a good place to train. There's no tax and no paparazzi are allowed. So uh, rich people like living. Oh, there. I didn't know that. Yeah, the paparazzi wow. are, uh, are, are, yeah, they're, I don't know exactly what they do to stop them from doing it, but they're effectively outlawed. Um, so everyone from Button and Coulthard of Hotel, uh, uh, Coulthard owns a hotel there, Button lives there, or has a place there. Uh, Gilles Villeneuve and Senna live there. Rosberg, Hamilton. Ricardo, I think. Yeah, and Bottas. Leclerc is from there. Yeah, and Charles Leclerc is uh, is Monegasque. He's 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 from there. Yeah, so okay, uh, do, they, do you know much about? I always forget this story, but uh, why we have a different uh, schedule this weekend? Because uh, it's, I think it used to be that the the Prince of Monaco liked to shop on was it Friday? So we have oh, practice on yeah, Thursday. Th- it's Thursday. I forgot or about it. maybe it's yeah. Saturday and qualifying on Friday. It's bizarre. Uh, yeah, we talked about that before. I forget. Yeah, yeah there was, I, I think the, the only race that was uh, cancelled was 49 when, when Prince Louis II died just before it or something. Um, yeah, I don't really, I can't remember. I remember um, uh, the, the current prince's um, uh, wife. I'm not sure if they, call her princess or how that all works monarchies f- fucking suck um says the irish guy um but uh she she got like <laughs> sprayed by champagne do you remember that like two years oh, ago yeah the, the whole the whole podium she, they, they seem really nice as well but the whole podium thing is actually quite new as well they used to just do like a park Fermi celebration um before but now they have that whole prince's box kind of thing which uh which is quite nice I just uh, love, like sorry, I do not sorry I was gonna say I do not love this race in terms of like the racing I want to see. Uh, mm. I I should say though in my view I do think it is one of the most challenging tracks on on the totally. circuit. Like you know you'll hear people talk about there are certain there are like rhythm tracks or rhythm sections, and the idea being that there are certain sections usually usually there are sections on courses where you can't actually just be reacting to things you just need to be in a flow and Mm. you basically need to be uh constantly like making steering inputs uh basically 
just taking your cues from like the sense of the timing of the lap and not really relying on visual cues because they will mislead you or they just won't like reacting to them will throw you off and you will run an, an inefficient lap. Monaco is like that the entire way around. I cannot handle it. Like when I've yeah. raced this in like Sims, uh, <laughs> like for me, and I think for, for a lot of us, right, we're used to you keep an eye out for like the, the, the corner markers and you sort of like make you take those as your cues. Monaco, because there are very few like actually straight sections, like everything is like bending, twisting slightly. You are always setting up for the next little adjustment. Monaco is such an intensely demanding track uh, because you basically have to be inch perfect all the way around. And if you are thrown out of rhythm, you're totally screwed, right? You just have to be, you have to be like in this rhythm for the duration of the race and any mistake will, will wipe you out. Like literally I can't, this is, this is a race when it comes up in like the F1 series, for instance, I basically just have to take the L. Uh, because there are so many places where, um, you know, you, you have to corner more tightly at this track than you do anywhere else mm. on the circuit. Um, there are places where, like, if you get it, if you, if you cut it too shallow, you'll bang. And you see this all the time at the last hairpin, right? If you cut it too shallow, you'll bang the rear wheel into the, uh, you know, into the, into the apex. And you're screwed. If you cut it too deep, you'll basically get lodged in the hairpin and have to be extracted. Uh, yeah, it's... Schumacher did that in uh, in qualifying on uh, uh, F1's oh god uh, top five um, on their YouTube channel. They have like top five Monaco moments. And Schumacher, oh, really? it's so funny watching the onboard because he just like whoop 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 whoop. It's like a total Three Stooges moment because he crashes basically on purpose to yellow flag the qualifying session, and so he gets pole position. It's oh my wait I'll like it. it how yeah. do I not remember that's that's like that's like crash gate before crash gate yeah that's, pretty much was was Senna's uh, off uh, turn eight at Portier there as well when he clipped the inside and then he he clipped the apex then went and you know went into the wall just before the entrance to the tunnel and kind of like Kimmy got out and went to his uh, went to his boat uh, Senna <laughs> got out, out and went to his uh, apartment and didn't leave it for a couple of days. Uh, we got the hard, medium, and soft here. C3, C4, C5. The uh, softest compounds available. Not a lot of variation in the tire selections. Although mm. uh, Ferrari and Red Bull are both taking one hard, one medium, and 11 softs. So oh, soft out. Guess we know where, uh, where they're going. Uh, Weather-wise, uh, qualifying and the race look to be very similar weather-wise. We're looking at uh, mid-60s Fahrenheit or around 18, 19 Celsius. Um, relatively uh, light wind, uh, 7 to 8 miles an hour, around 11 kilometers an hour, and like 10% chance of precipitation. Uh, okay, uh, should we take it to emails? Sure. Do we have time for emails? We have time for like one or two. Yeah. All okay. right. We got an interesting one. You kind of talked about um, the uh, the the uh, you know the cars pipping around those corners. It reminded me a little bit about um, 
this uh, issue that they used to have years ago when the when the track on the back wheels was wider than the front. Um, and we actually got a really good question, kind of about car length, because they used to, you know, your front wheels would get through a corner in Monaco, but you kind of had to drift a little bit because the back wheel might collect it on the way, um, uh, at least in those old cars. So we got this uh, question from uh, Matt Goulet, who says, uh, we're always talking about boring races in F1 from the impossible to overtake races like Monaco to the races uh, where there should be more overtaking. I find myself wondering if there isn't a simple new rule to bring in to resolve this. Maximum car length. Formula One cars now lie somewhere between four to five meters, uh, that's uh, 13 to 16 feet long, and they seem to grow every year. The tracks aren't changing though, and I wonder if that's why overtaking has taken such a huge dive over recent seasons. If the FIA FOM institute a maximum allowed car length of just 3.5 meters, just over 11 feet, it would dramatically reduce the turning radius of the cars and mean that a car isn't impossible to get alongside of and overtake. Do you think this would work to increase overtaking? Uh, What else do you think might work? And I uh, did some research myself and found an interesting um, video on Reddit that sort of uh, showed the track and wheelbase of cars changing. Um, uh, uh, I guess track being the distance between the you know left and right tires and wheelbase being the difference between the front and rear tires. Um, uh, and it sort of demonstrated the distance between them, how it's evolved over, say, the past uh, 50 years. So, you know, it starts off with a, a Lotus um 68 which has a wheelbase and track of uh, wheelbase of 2.6 meters and a track of 1.5 and then you bring it up to a modern day Mercedes um I think the Mercedes is mentioned here um yeah which has a or I guess let's go over 99 Ferrari even 3.2 wheelbase and a 1.4 track so it's yeah it's an interesting I guess you know there are no easy answers to things in F1 and obviously aerodynamics and car speed and all of these things um, play a part but uh, what do you guys think of the idea of uh, shortening the cars again I also wonder if there's a safety issue involved in this in dispersing the energy yeah like I don't know that it's I don't like I be I just don't think it's turning radius I think it's arrow right like I, I I think now I think the arrow is one of the reasons the cars are so long uh, but also yeah the uh, necessity of making the cars safer you know you hear drivers talk about like literally uh, sitting in the old f1 cars just like wreathed in fuel uh you know like gotcha. that, that was the old that was the old model and so now like there are so many safety measures about sort of uh keeping the survival cell of the car intact and, and, and safe uh that i i fundamentally think uh this is probably I, I don't think you're going to get i don't think you're gonna recover that much of that space uh and and stay within safety regulations uh but also i don't think that this is i don't think this is the factor that's keeping us from 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 getting overtaking i think it is just the degree of aerodynamic sophistication that is now the norm in the sport yeah i'm all for gigantic cars I want them to make them <laughs> as large as they can and try to have them squeeze around uh, the circuit. And what if was they that one concept that was like six wheels? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I wonder what the average length of an Indy car is against a, an F1 car. You know, it's uh, we see those guys. What was that famous race a couple of years ago where there were six abreast coming over the line or whatever? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not doing that in Monaco. 
another quick question. During Baku, when Leclerc crashed in Quali and they red flagged it for a bit, the same buddy asked, what would happen if they were unable to restart Quali? I assume, uh, I assured him, uh, I guess he's talking to his friend. This is from Graydon, by the way. Um, I assured him they would, but it was a fair question. What if qualifying got red flagged because of weather or something like that genuinely, genuinely threatened Saturday's events during, say, Q2? What would happen? Uh, what would the starting grid look like? Has that ever happened? Wasn't there a red flagged quality in uh, Malaysia like years ago? Because that was that was an issue where I know that there was a wild qualifying where they basically red flagged it because of a monsoon blowing through. Uh, but right. I think they might have already logged some laps. So you ended up with a weird grid, but you did have a quality session with times. <laughs> weird grid. I'm on a weird grid every week. Let's Hashtag just take a weird grid. Yeah, let's just do it by like age, sometimes, you know, alphabet, surnames, order, descending, ascending, mix it up. <laughs> uh, I would bet that, yeah, if you, probably your fastest time logged during that session would just become your qualifying time and they would go down the list like that. I think if you like somehow had to cancel qualifying, they'd probably do your practice times. Uh, I did a cursory look through the uh, the FIA regulations and I couldn't find um, a way to do that. But that's kind of how MotoGP works. You go out uh, for practice and depending on your practice times, you are sectioned into either Q1 or Q2. Uh, so that's that's my guess on that. Uh, all right, Rob, I, I know you got to uh, take off for a sec, but um, thanks for joining us, Mr. Sackney. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Uh, and I am going to be on a family vacation, so I'm not even going to get to watch Monaco. <laughs> I will I will miss the entire parade. Uh, Wait a second. I'll be out next week, too. Yeah, we talked about yeah. this a while ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah no, it's going to be uh, Danny's one-man show um, yeah. off-Broadway. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite. Sh- Shift F1 contributor. Uh, uh, me, of course. Yeah. The most knowledgeable one. One week only. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I'll I'll be I'll be uh, bringing in a uh, in a you know a ringer in a you know a, what the, what do you call it our reserve driver as it were. Yeah, yeah. there you go. We just to help make sure it's the right shade I- of orange. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I can't wait to come back and discover that we have a YouTube channel now, and it's Danny O'Dwyer reacts to 2019 <laughs> Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, I mean, I, we literally do Let's Plays on the Patreon on a YouTube channel, so we're not that far. Are we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rob. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Cheers. All right, Danny. From Monaco to the rest of the world, what do you say we take it to? <laughs> race around the world. Some good racing going on. I'm feeling good about Formula 2. I'm feeling good about W Series. Yeah. Uh, I guess I got to start watching Euro Formula now. The Billy Mongers winning races. Right. Uh, we had the for, uh, Northwest was on uh, last week um, for the bikes. Yeah. And, uh, and the big was, one's coming up this week. That's right, baby. More bikes coming up. I guess I'll just mention that right now since we're talking about it. The Isle of Man TT, which we just did a whole Patreon podcast about uh, the Isle of Man TT. Uh, I'm definitely going to try to watch some of this. Uh, mm. I don't think it's airing anywhere in the U.S., but VPNs are a great way to secure your uh, internet traffic. <laughs> apropos of nothing and um if you're in the uk uh you can watch it on itv.com with a a free account that you can create there so Mm. uh, also a good idea to change your time zone on your computer just periodically 
you know, to the UK. Whenever, <laughs> Change whenever it up. Want. Just mix it up, you know? Yeah, just mix it up. Keep, keep guessing. Uh, Formula 2 will be supporting the Formula 1 race in Monaco this weekend. We've also got Ooh. Formula E in Berlin. Uh, supercars will be at uh, Winton Raceway in Victoria, Australia. IndyCar, the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500 is also this weekend. It always seems to coincide with uh, the Monaco race. Yeah. Uh, so literally, literally going back decades, there are like yeah. drivers back in the f- 50s, I think, who t- couldn't race a Monaco because Indy was on. So it's, it's Somebody, always been... Or an- it's probably Montoya, but I think uh, they've flown between Monaco and oh, I, think, I think some brilliant. drivers have done the double. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, Motocross uh, GP is in France at Moto Club Angerin. It's probably, Mm. it's definitely not how you pronounce that. Uh, The World Rallycross Championship is at Silverstone for the Day Insure World Rallycross of Great Britain. Super GT! Uh, Their round three is at the Suzuka Circuit in Inuocho. Inuocho Suzuka Mie Prefecture, Japan. Mm. Japan. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my God. Uh, the Indi- X- and NASCAR. And oh, F1. you bet. We got and- the Xfinity Series, which is like NASCAR Junior. Uh, <laughs> they're racing the Alsco 300. I don't know what that Alsco is. Alsco in love and war. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and we got the regular old NASCAR, Monster NASCAR Cup. Uh, both of those are at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and the Monsters will be racing the Coca-Cola 600. <laughs> it's a real weekend of America. Yeah, this is probably the hottest week in motorsports in the world. Whether you want really two is. wheels or four wheels, open wheels, closed wheels, we got your back. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> me and Robert will both be out, so it's perfect. It's perfect. Dude, I have, uh, I have family. everyone's on family vacations. My parents are here right now. Oh, that's uh, crazy. I, I'm, I'm going. To, I'm going to a wedding uh, in Cape Cod on Sunday, so I'm probably also going to miss the race live. Wow! Uh, depending on how the uh, hotel internet works out, I guess. Well, we got uh, practice kicking off Thursday, as mentioned, uh, May 23rd at 5 a.m. Eastern Time on uh, ESPN2. Same with uh, practice two, which is at uh, 9 a.m. Practice 3 is on Saturday, May 25th at 6 a.m. on ESPN2, followed by qualifying at 9 a.m., uh, also ESPN2. And the race, Danny, the race. Sunday, May 26th at 9 a.m. on ESPN, uh, with an encore uh, on ABC um, the same day oh. at 3.30 p.m. If, uh, if you don't have ESPN, you can watch it over the air on ABC. Awesome. And if you're hankering for some Monaco action, the Formula E Monaco race already happened a couple of weeks back, and the highlights are on YouTube, so you can go watch that as well. Oh, nice. Cool. Although it's basically just Sector 1 and 2. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Sector. It's basically just Sector 3. <laughs> okay. That's actually how it works. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Get access to all our weird bonus episodes, uh, podcasts, uh, videos, etc., um yeah that's it for me i I'll, I'll catch the race somehow i won't be there for the podcast but uh um yeah um I, i'm looking forward to watching formula one i know it's not going to be a good race because monica never is uh but uh i don't know there's something about the the pageantry 
the history of Monaco. It's just a fun circuit to to look at, I think. Yeah, I always look forward to Monaco. I, I, I like you said, I, I don't. It's something just about the event. It's a it's a it's a real fun weekend to celebrate F one in all of its ridiculousness. Um, I got an early taste of of the feeling of speed and aerodynamics uh, earlier today. I was on a walk in the park, and the uh, Blue Angels flew over our head. Oh no, kidding! Um, yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend, I guess, and I live in Annapolis, so they're practicing ah. today for uh, for the big show on Monday. So yeah, we were we were just walking through a park, and suddenly this tearing noise through the sky. We looked <laughs> up, and four of them banked like not that high above us. Um, uh, we could almost see the uh, the pilots' heads. It was uh, it was pretty incredible. So I'm uh, I got the need for speed. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Fantastic. Well, uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. Danny, we'll see you all next week. <laughs> Yeah.